0: Hello, and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's national parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This episode of Everybody's National Parks is brought to you by Trip Possible. They are experts in vacation planning and travel advice, and they specialize in planning trips to the national parks. Today, I'm here with Nick Mock. Nick is the owner of Trip Possible and wanted to share his tips and time-saving advice about traveling to a national park like Yosemite. He planned a trip there with his family earlier this year and wants to help you make the most out of your visit there. I got a very nice email from Nick with the subject, Inspired Listener. Nick wrote, I love your podcast and find your friendly conversational demeanor so enjoyable to listen to. Your episode on Olympic National Park provided me with wonderful tips that helped me plan our trip in 2018. And your episodes on Zion National Park have clutch info about the best time of year to visit, hike descriptions, and tips that I'm using to plan a trip in the fall of 2020. Nothing makes me happier than to get an email like this. It makes my day. I love hearing from listeners that our podcast has added value and helped them to get the most out of their trip to a national park. So, thank you so much for that really nice email. If you have comments to share, please email us at hello at everybodysnps.com or you can send us a message through Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Thank you so much to all of our patrons for your support. Now, let's get to the conversation. Thank you so much for that really nice email, Nick. And I'm so happy to be speaking with you today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Danielle.
0: So, Nick, what inspired you to start Trip Possible? I've always
1: been an enjoyer of travel and loved going on my own family vacations when I was growing up. But recently, you know, in in seeing what my family and my friends have, you know, a lot of them work so hard to earn vacation time at their jobs, but then they never end up going on these trips. They never end up using that time because they just get scared and maybe a little bit daunted by the logistical challenge that goes into planning a big family trip or a you know a vacation to a national park. There's a lot of details that go into planning such a trip and sometimes it, it ends up looking easier to just push it off than to make it happen. So that is a little bit of a bummer to me because I know how special it is to be on vacation and make memories that truly last forever. So really, it comes down to me being the kind of person that likes seeing people happy and making them happy. And vacations are usually filled with happiness. So I wanted to use my skills as being someone who's very good at details and logistics and spinning that into a way to help people. And it happens to be a fun way because you're sending folks on vacation.
0: And how should a family start in planning their national park trip? Do you have some sort of a checklist or a recipe for planning a trip to a national park?
1: There's really no clear-cut recipe because it all really starts with that individual and their family. So I really like to start by listening to what people want out of that trip and then beginning to plan. I think you do a disservice to people if you aren't a good listener, if you jump right into solutions before you hear what it is they want to do and what they want to get out of their trip. But I think the natural tendency is attempting to do as much as you can because traveling to a national park, you know, can often take you to the other side of the continent or the country. So you feel like you need to make the most of your time there. But I've found... (laughs) Sometimes sign up the hard way, but I found it's a common pitfall and it can result in kind of like a frenzied rush of jam packed days that you spend in the car, driving around the park, snapping a photo, getting back in the car, and never slowing down. So I think that the one thing I like to remind myself of frequently when I'm planning a trip and getting started is okay, let's not do too much. Sometimes less is more. The parks, they really deserve our full attention. So I like to really encourage people to immerse yourself in them. You know, if there are a couple highlights that you want to hit, absolutely. Let's plan around those, but create free time around those so that you feel like you've become part of it instead of, you know, rushing out, <laughs> like I said, rushing out, telling yourself you experienced it and then leaving because oftentimes you'll leave a little bit disappointed that you it almost forgetful about what happened. So I guess that's that's where I like to start.
0: That makes a lot of sense, and um, we travel the same way. We try to anyway, and um, not overwhelm ourselves. So, how do you determine when the right time is to visit a park?
1: Yeah. So our parks, there's so much variety, you know, you can go as far south as the, the islands in the Caribbean and as far north as Alaska. So the seasons are so different, but it does always, again, come down to listening to what people want out of that trip. If they're looking for, you know, an outdoor hiking adventure, then normally you'd want to avoid you know, the winter, maybe even late fall to early spring if you're in the mountains because you're going to be walking through snow and blizzards. But if they're looking for seclusion and privacy, then that could be the perfect time to visit a park because normally they're less crowded during off season. So from there, it does come down to the family's availability and, you know, whether you're planning around school breaks, whether you're combining the trip to the national park with a work trip, those are pretty clear cut parameters that you have to plan around. And, you know, most parks certainly capitalize on a peak summer season, but if you have any date flexibility, that's when I've found things become very exciting because that's when you can really play toward the dreams of that group of, you know, the things that they truly think about that they dream about seeing So an example comes to mind when we were planning our own trip to Yosemite earlier this year, my father-in-law who came with us, he really was adamant about trying to see the waterfalls in Yosemite, which is, you know, one of the things that it's so well known for. Then he's like, okay, let's go in September after school gets back in session. But, you know, as I was doing my research and, Thinking through this, I'm like, most of the waterfalls are going to be dried up then. So we spun things in a little bit of a different way and put our trip in the middle of May instead. And boy, were we glad we did because I think we got there and the, everyone was telling us the waterfalls had never you know, gushed with more volume than they were that week. And it really added to a special experience walking through that valley and hearing the thunder From those waterfalls, that was pretty neat because we got to be choosy about when we could go. The dream was to see Yosemite Falls dropping, you know, twenty five hundred feet. We got to experience that firsthand because we planned around it that way. So, yeah, when you have that flexibility, it it gets kind of fun.
0: Yeah, that was a great time to be there, and I think we were there just a few weeks before you were there. Mm -hmm, That's right. The waterfalls were pretty phenomenal. Yeah. So we talked offline about people's perceptions and trying to overcome that. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's
1: definitely part of what um I almost put it as a personal goal to try to rectify that because there's like a negative perception sometimes of Yosemite because it's so crowded, you know, during peak season that I've read a lot of reviews and heard from people that it, it came in under their expectations. It was a big disappointment. And then I'm sure you can attest to it, Daniel. I mean, it, it was remarkable when we were there and I just felt like, I think the folks who maybe had a bad experience succumbed to some of those common pitfalls, you know, it's not easy to just drive in on a Saturday morning, see some stuff, and leave that afternoon. You're going to get stuck in traffic. You're not going to be able to find a place to park. All the trails will be crowded. So yeah, that was a little bit of a bummer when I read that. So I definitely took that into account when I was planning the trip to Yosemite too, to make sure that our days weren't too packed with time in the car, but we were also trying to get into the Yosemite Valley, obviously the most popular part of the park, we tried to get into the valley as early in the day as we could, not waking up at the crack of dawn, but certainly trying to get in there maybe before nine AM. That helped us find a place to park, start our hikes and start our visit to you know, nature centers before most people had made their way into the park. So and that made just for a nice pleasant start to the day. And I really kind of enjoyed being in the Valley as the day was starting, kind of, you know, you see the place wake up and come to life. And that that was super special. I thought that was such a fun thing. So, yeah, I mean, you need to make yourself aware of the reality of such a popular park like Yosemite. I mean, think through (laughs) what you're about to do. It's it's not easy to just make a day trip out of it. So yeah, it's all about just setting the bar. Realistically.
0: You talk about, Watching the valley wake up, but it sounds like you didn't stay inside the park. And so, what are your recommendations for finding a place to stay? And obviously, staying outside of the park poses that challenge that you have to, you know, account for the travel time at getting into the park and getting to where you want to go for the day. Sure,
1: yeah, that's an important consideration. So, no, we we did not stay inside the valley. You know, we didn't stay at the the famous you, you know lodge in the valley, but what we did was I found a cabin in the, they call it the Yosemite West area, which it kind of just feels like a, like a cabin community, subdivision almost, with, I don't know, a few hundred cabins, but it was very centrally located 20 minutes from the valley, 30 minutes from Glacier Point, and 30 minutes from Mariposa Grove. And those were like three of the places that we knew that we wanted to go to the most. And really we knew that if we're staying there, a twenty minute drive into the valley each morning with no traffic is easy. You know, that puts us in a nice secluded area, you know, inside the park gate, so we're not fighting traffic every morning, but you know, outside the valley because because unfortunately everything was booked in inside the valley when when we went to plan this trip. But it was a very convenient location being there because it was so centrally located to all the points of interest we wanted to see and wouldn't change a thing. And I almost, I'm hesitant admitting this because I wanted to stay a secret, <laughs> but it, it was a great spot. Yosemite West was perfect.
0: That's a great tip. And do you have tips on how to find a place to stay, especially if you had the misfortune of everything being booked inside the valley? Maybe that would have been your first choice. And so if that's the case, what would be your tips for finding places to stay outside that that are conveniently located once you've decided what your priorities are for you? It was the Valley, Mariposa Grove, and Glacier Point.
1: Yeah, I think you definitely need to start with what are the things that are must-dos. You know, absolutely need to see this when I'm there and try to intentionally make that list short. You know, less is more. I've said it before. But when you can kind of Identify what places you really want to see. Then I always pull out a map. I get a map of the park, and I plot those points on the map. And then I find you know the roads that go through the park, and I start doing pretty diligent research, internet research about the lodging options within said park. So whether they only allow you know park service housing like a lodge or like cabins, or whether in Yosemite's case. Yosemite West, it was not operated by the National Park Service because it technically was slightly outside the border of the park. So, you know, it allowed property owners to rent out their cabins to individuals like me. So, but really visually seeing on a map where everything is you want to go, the roads that connect those places, where would be a nice place to set up home base? Because that's going to be your launching off point for all the activities you're going to do there. You don't want to just pick the first place that's available. If you have the opportunity to be choosy, it's very important because it goes a long way in creating a good experience. Less time in the car means more time on the trail or paddling a canoe or riding a bike. Whatever it is you're called to do in a park, most of the time it's not driving from point A to point B. But although there are some scenic drives out there that are enjoyable. So yeah, that's my advice. Get a map. And make sure you've done your research in advance.
0: For sure. And quick little side note so the lodging inside the park is operated by Yosemite Hospitality, the official concessionaire for the National Park Service at Yosemite. Just make that note.
1: And that's where you and your family stayed, right, Danielle?
0: Yeah. So we stayed in a bunch of places, but all operated by Yosemite Hospitality. We stayed at Curry Village. We stayed at the Iwani Lodge. We splurged for one night. It's just been a dream of Brian's, and so he went for it, and it was a great experience. And then we ended our trip at the Wawona Hotel, which is in Wawona, closest to Mariposa Grove.
1: Right. That's so cool. So
0: cool. Yeah, and they were all they were all great experiences to uh, have a little taste of each one of those places, and all very different. So moving on, how should a family pack for their trip to ensure they're prepared for all situations? You had some weather on your trip, I understand.
1: (laughs) We had all the weather. (laughs) We had all four seasons, it felt like, the week we were there, which, again, looking back was kind of special. I enjoyed that. You know, one day we woke up to four inches of snow, and then the very next day, it was like 70 degrees in the valley. So yeah, But that right there goes to show you that you need versatility. You need to pack clothing that can serve, in my opinion, you know, pack clothing that can serve multiple purposes. So I think a waterproof jacket that also provides a little bit of warmth can be your best friend because that's like a very important layer that keeps the cold out and keeps your body warm trapped in. So it doesn't take up much room. You can even wear it on the plane on the way out. So it doesn't take up room in your suitcase, but I don't want to get too far down what clothes to pack, but versatile clothing will really make your trip better because then you're not wishing that you would have brought your rain boots or wishing that you would have brought a winter coat, do what you can to pack a variety of items. So one of the ways I make it possible to do that is in advance, I like to check where I'm staying, you know, so the cabin, for example, I like to check to see if they provide things like toiletries or hair dryers for my wife or, most importantly, washing machines and uh, dryers because that that allows you to pack far fewer items but pack a greater variety of items that hopefully will prepare you better for all the variety of weather that you're going to get. And Yosemite was a great example of that. But then again, there are some parks you visit where... The weather's a little bit more predictable. You know, if you're going to the Everglades, it's certainly not going to be cold. (laughs) But again, it might behoove you to find somewhere that has a washing machine nearby or or just locate a laundromat because packing a greater variety of clothes that prepare you for the elements is better than just packing 10 t-shirts because you know that you can't do laundry when you're out there. That's always kind of worked out for me personally.
0: Yeah. And you said, I liked this, that uh, you had uh, said to me earlier, don't let bad weather ruin your trip.
1: <laughs> right. There's no, what's the quote? There's no such thing as bad weather. There's only bad clothing.
0: <laughs> right, right. As long as you're prepared. And yeah, you could have multiple climates in one day, especially if you're changing an elevation.
1: Yeah. Oh, you got lucky. I was going to say we were hiking the mist trail i think so the one that hikes you up past vernal falls and up to nevada falls and i think at the beginning of the hike we were you know climbing that steep grade and everyone was taking off pullovers and sweating then as soon as we got to the top of vernal falls it started to snow and we thought what is going on you know it was raining and then it turned into snow so even in the short time of a 90 minute hike you can experience such crazy fluctuations in temperature and precipitation.
0: <laughs> and of course, on that hike in particular, in the spring, you're going to get wet, even if it's not raining, but just from the falls. So be prepared in that way as well. That's right. Yeah. And then you took a hike around Mirror Lake.
1: We did. We did. Yeah. Mirror Lake was great. I think that was our very first full day. We got in in the afternoon, the evening of the prior day. So we woke up that morning and, you know, we looked at the weather forecast. It really was not very optimistic. It said rain was likely for most of the morning, but we said, you know, what the heck, let's gear up. Let's go out and do a hike anyway. And I had read that Mirror Lake was one of those hikes that not a lot of elevation change would still be pretty even if it was a cloudy or rainy day so we prioritized that one and it was proof that sometimes you just need to put yourself in the park and wait for the weather to cooperate (laughs) versus doing it the other way around because we started out pike to mirror lake and it was raining it was gray it was a little bit of a wet slog at first but then Slowly, you know, as we advanced our way up the trail, pockets of blue sky would kind of reveal themselves. And then all of a sudden rays of sunshine started coming out and lighting up the, you know, the rock walls of the valley. And we had this trail to ourselves. And I have to imagine it was because people might've gotten scared off because of the weather forecast, but obviously you need to be careful and heed the warnings of the park service. If it's, you know, Thunder and lightning is in the forecast, but there was a little rain and that might've scared people off, but we put ourselves on the trail and looking back, it was one of the best memories we had, you know, it was the first hike we did. And we just stood there alone on the trail, looking up at these giant rock walls, just making us look like tiny little ants. Glad that we were there, glad we were there and not back in our cabin waiting for the skies to open up.
0: Yeah. And sometimes inclement weather makes for a great experience and, great photos. Did you get lucky and see a rainbow?
1: I'm sure we did. That's not the part of the hike I remember, but I'm sure we did. We might have snapped a photo one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm a big fan of rainbows and waterfalls. <laughs> and,
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, they go hand in hand in Yosemite.
0: And uh, our joke, my kids love unicorns, so I'm always looking for the unicorns along with the rainbows and waterfalls. <laughs> <laughs> so Weather is a definite frustration. What are some other common frustrations that people may experience? And do you have suggestions of how to minimize them?
1: Sure, definitely. So I think a good problem that the National Park Service is having is that it's growing in popularity. You know, visits are are climbing. A lot of people are going to the parks, but, you know, there's limited ways to get there. So traffic is common. In the most popular parks, especially during peak season and on weekends. So sometimes it's just not avoidable. But if you're trying to sneak in a short visit to a park, sometimes you don't have the luxury of choosing what day you go. But, you know, when you do, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but getting there early is always a good idea. You're going to beat most of the lines if you can get into Yosemite, for example getting into the valley before 9 a.m. was a big reward because you're beating most people to the points of interest. And, you know, not that, not that crowds are always a bad thing. I, I really found that most people were, were pretty respectful and, you know, there for the right reasons, and everyone was there to, to enjoy the park. But sometimes it's a nuisance. I mean, most people have seen, you know, the photos of lines of traffic, through Yosemite Valley or lions trying to get into Zion National Park in Utah, and that's not how you want to spend your time. But I would say, in those situations, try to avoid setting deadlines for yourself. You know, saying, "Oh man, it's a it's already ten a.m. We were supposed to start the hike before nine. Oh, we're way behind, and oh, this day's just not going to go well." And I think if you try to avoid that pitfall you'll be rewarded with, okay, it took us longer to get here, but we're still on a spectacular hike. We're in an incredible place with incredible views. Maybe that just means you don't get to do as much as you wanted to that day, but psychologically try to stay positive. (laughs) And that's, that's so much easier said than done sometimes. But if you want to try to avoid that, then yeah, earlier in the day, Weekdays are undoubtedly less crowded than weekends in most parks, especially the most popular ones. And then I would say if you find like in Yosemite, if you find a parking spot, leave your car there and then take the shuttle around you know to get from point to point. We did that, you know, just looking at what the park looked like by lunchtime. It was an madhouse, and I was glad that we had a parking spot, and were able to work our way through the valley. On the shuttle system, I mean, the Zion does the same thing, and I'm sure plenty of places do. So, yeah, the National Park Service does a really good job of trying to preserve the natural places in their parks, and I think what they've done is try to improve the transportation within. So, it, it's a hard thing to do, but they've done it well. So, use the shuttles when you can.
0: Right? Were you pretty much in the middle of the village where you parked, or were you outside the village?
1: Yeah, no, we were in, you said you guys stayed at Curry Village. I believe that is actually where we parked a couple of the days. We parked there and started our hikes from there and, you know, visited the nature center. And then when we were done, you know, in in the late afternoon, that's where we went and picked up our car. But the shuttles run throughout the valley floor pretty consistently, pretty regularly. So I think what we did was try to park on the far end of the valley because that road system on the valley floor is is one-way traffic for, for most of it. So, you know, once you go too far, you have no choice but to work your way back. And by the time you loop around, you know, there may be no parking spots. So yeah, we tried to go as far out there, park your car, and then you can always use the shuttle to make it back to other, you know, other attractions from there.
0: Gotcha. And so you had all seasons you talked about, and you said that you would check the road conditions every day. And what situations did you have there? Did you need to have chains at some point?
1: Yeah, you're right. In a place like Yosemite, snow can happen on the same day as sun. And they did, yeah, they put on a chain requirement one of the mornings we were there. And I had read in advance that's a possibility, you know, in in May. So we had gone into the park. I think we came in to the park from the south through the city of Oakhurst. And just stopped at an auto parts store there, you know, talked to the guy and said, what do I need to buy in order to be chain eligible, if you will, you know, pass the requirement for having tire chains. And he, you know, gave me, I think it was maybe a $60 set of tire chains that go on your wheels. And we had them in the car in case we ever needed to pull them out. And we did that morning in order to get into the valley. We needed to have chains on our vehicle. But then they lifted it by maybe lunchtime because everything had melted off, the snow had melted, and because we had opened the chains and put them on our car, we couldn't return them, which you are allowed to do if you don't end up using your, your chains. But so on the way out, you know, when we were leaving Yosemite, we found somebody at a at a convenience store who was heading into the park, and we just gave him our chains and said, "Here, use these <laughs> if you need them. Have these." So yeah, it's always good though to think ahead, and they they do have a hotline. Yosemite does that they update every morning with with road conditions with trail conditions with weather for that day and I I definitely dialed that hotline religiously leading up to the trip and then every morning because that's another thing that not everybody does and that could lead to a bad experience if you're stuck in a traffic jam because the road's closed and you can always look ahead and make that plan accordingly.
0: That is very smart that's a great tip and um not one that uh, others have mentioned. So thanks for adding that. So what tips do you have for planning out the itinerary? There's a lot of different things to do in Yosemite and in many parks have different things. So do you have suggestions on how to go about planning the itinerary? And you've already said, don't try to pack in too much.
1: Yeah, yeah. Don't try to do too much. Sometimes immersing yourself in one beautiful place is enough. And just letting that soak in can be important. But at the same time, let's just say you have limited time. You know, the best of us, sometimes we only have a day or two to experience a lot. Sometimes it's a logistical process that you need to look through. And I always look back at my map and I'm I'm thinking, okay, if I want to see Glacier Point and Mariposa Grove, you know, in, in one day, how do I go about doing that? What's the drive times like where should I go first? It's almost like you have to really place yourself there and imagine going through that day. Because once you get there, it's not like you're going to hop out of your car, take in a view, snap a photo and leave. It's important to stay and experience it a little bit. So when planning an itinerary, it's okay to put on multiple items, so to speak, on that list. But Flag a couple is optional, you know? It's no big deal if you say, oh, we didn't get to Yosemite Falls today (laughs) because we spent time looking at Vernal Falls or we spent time walking along the Merced River instead. And that was more important to us, you know? It's okay to not get to everything on the itinerary, but every itinerary I plan for people, it's always going to be flexible. It's based around flexibility and being able to Still walk away happy if you didn't check all the boxes. So maybe, I would say maybe ranking things in order of importance is a good way to go about doing it too. So it's a good thing to think about.
0: And do you have one or two highlights from your trip to Yosemite that you want to share?
1: Yeah, sure. I'll share a couple. I think the first one was that tunnel view shot, you know, the view that you get when you pop out of the tunnel and you see this sprawling view of Yosemite Valley, you know, right down through it. I mean, that might be the most popular picture of Yosemite, but that's very popular, of course. It's what you don't see in those photos is that there's parking lots filled with cars and people with tripods and cameras and snapping selfies. And so it's very popular there. Uh, There's a trail that starts from one of those parking lots. And goes up above Tunnel View to a lookout point called Inspiration Point, and I had read that that was not crowded at all. You know, you know, you lose ninety nine percent of people as soon as you start hiking up that trail. So we packed our lunch one morning, and you know, we went there. We did that, and it was a it was a moderate hike. It wasn't strenuous. It wasn't easy. It does require you to climb, but after maybe an hour of hiking you're left with, you know, it's it's hard to describe with words, I guess, because they call it inspiration point for a reason. But imagine tunnel view, but higher up, seeing more in every direction. And then we sat there, there were four of us, I think we sat there and ate our lunch while we just took in this incredible view of the valley and all the sounds kind of of the cars down below, they disappeared and you're just left with the wind and the distant sound of the waterfalls echoing throughout the valley and that was kind of a moment that we all look back on and laugh about because it was just so surreal that was and i think the the other thing later that day i think we we went back to our cabin and our cabin had a hot tub and that was intentional we found one that had a hot tub and we all you know warmed our aching muscles in the hot tub while it then started to snow like peacefully so we're then all of a sudden just sitting here and it's it became winter for a little bit as we're looking up into the pine trees above us and snow's falling down it just made for a very special day and I think that's kind of what what I take away from Yosemite is just a reminder that everything is is so dynamic it's always changing in that valley you know the weather is different every single day the the valley looks different every single day so yeah, it's such a special place. So many awesome memories of it.
0: That's wonderful. I love that. It is special and you could live there a lifetime and still every day is different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really enjoyed hearing that story. How do clients work with you?
1: Sure. So I have a website and it's com. trip possible, two Ps. But I also have an email and that's... Nick at com, so they can reach out to me. And I really just like to pride myself on being a good listener about what it is they want first. And I, I don't like to call myself a, you know, a travel agent or anything like that. I, I'm really just someone who's very good with details and wants to help you create a special trip for yourself or your family or your, your group. So that's how they would get in touch with me. But then from there, it's, It's really just kind of like a one-on-one personal relationship. I'm almost your personal travel assistant, if you will. Unlimited back and forth talks about what it is you want and, and how I can help.
0: That's great. Well, we look forward to having you plan one of our upcoming trips next year. So thank you so much, Nick, for joining me. And I will have links on our website to my trip possible. And I will also include that hotline number that you mentioned for easy access. For sure. So thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed talking to you.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it too. It was fun to think back about this trip. It makes me want to plan another one. <laughs> so yeah, we, we might do that soon. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Danielle.
0: Thank you.